Cool. Um, yeah, so I'm going to be doing the Bible reading today. It should be in one of these pamphlet thingies that you got. Um, we're reading Proverbs 14, verses 1 to 20. Cool. The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands the foolish one tears hers down. Whoever fears the Lord walks uprightly, but those who despise him are devious in their ways. A fool's mouth lashes out with pride, but the lips of the wise protect them. Where there are no oxen, the manger is empty, but from the strength of an ox come abundant harvests. An honest witness does not deceive, but a false witness pours out lies. The mocker seeks wisdom and finds none, but knowledge comes easily to the discerning. Stay away from a fool, for you will not find knowledge on their lips. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. Fools mock at making amends for sin, but goodwill is found among the upright. Each heart knows its own bitterness, and no one else can share its joy. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end leads to death. Even in laughter, the heart may ache, and rejoicing may end in grief. The faithless will be, repaid, will be fully repaid for their ways, and the good rewarded for theirs. The simple believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps. The wise fear the Lord and shun evil, but a fool is hot-headed and yet feels secure. A quick-tempered person does, not, does foolish things, and the one who devises evil schemes is hated. The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. Evildoers will bow down in the presence of the good, and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. The poor are shunned even by their neighbours, but the rich have many friends. Well, good afternoon. It's good to be with you and uh, share this uh, session on Proverbs, on wisdom. Thanks, Isaac, for reading for us. Uh, I don't know what you thought as you listened to that reading from Proverbs chapter 14. Uh, Sometimes I I wanted Isaac just to slow down a little bit because he was onto something completely new before I caught up with the one before. And Proverbs are sort of like that. They don't, they're not like a story where you can follow the storyline and the characters hook you in and you want to know what's going to happen. It's not like one of the epistles where there's an argument trying to persuade you or something. There's just this random bang, bang, changing topics here, there and everywhere. What, what do we do with that? Well, today we're going to sample some for ourselves, try and work out uh, how we use them, how we learn from them. But just to recap, set the scene for us, I want to go back to the first talk two weeks ago and just uh, recall or maybe inform you of some of the conclusions we came to about Proverbs and wisdom in the Bible. First one is that wisdom uh, it comes from perceiving and understanding the order in the way God the Creator orders his world. And that includes human affairs, it includes nature but includes human affairs. So the wise person can live with the grain of the order. That is, God created this world with wisdom. He designed it to work brilliantly and predictably. It's not a chaotic, unpredictable mess. And God sustains and rules this world with his wisdom. So we expect order. We expect it to work in certain directions. Wisdom understands that and uses it. Secondly, true wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. That is, in relating properly to the one who orders creation, to fear him as God, take him seriously. And it lands with Jesus, in whom are found all the treasures of wisdom, says Paul in Colossians. 
That is, as an essential starting point to true wisdom is knowing the one who shapes this world. Wisdom without God, well, it's sort of like a dinner party without the host. You can still eat, but it's a bit random. Or it's like a tutorial without the tutor. You can still have fun. You might learn a few things from each other, but you don't really know where you're going. You haven't got a direction to it. And the wisdom of God is everywhere on display in our world, but climactically, transparently, magnificently in Jesus, especially in his death and resurrection. Thirdly, wisdom is learnt by experience and observation, that is, by empiricism. Our university is big on empiricism. I hope you are too, because wisdom observes. It looks at what happens. It, it experiences and then reflects on that experience. It's the school of hard knocks, you might call it. But there are some shortcuts to wisdom. That is, we can learn from the wisdom of the wise. Other people have had the experience. They've made the observations so we can stand on their shoulders. And today, that's what we're doing, sampling learning from wise people from the past, from Proverbs and uh, sorry, from Solomon and others. And when you look at some of the Proverbs, they are a bit strange, aren't they? There's one printed uh, in that first box on your outline. Even in laughter, the heart may ache, and rejoicing may end in grief. How do you learn something from that? How do you become wise by reading that? Well, that's what we're going to look at today. It's worth noting as well, number four, wisdom can't be spoon-fed because it's not instruction on what to do. It's not something to be followed unthinkingly. Instead, it's communicated in ways that require us to think, to reflect. Uh, Sometimes they're called riddles. Riddles are things that immediately you don't understand. You've got to think a bit harder about them until the connections come together and finally you say, ah, yeah, I get it. Or goads is another way the Bible describes them. Like little stones in your shoes that just irritate and irritate till finally you do something about them. And so you can't rote learn wisdom. You might rote learn Proverbs, but that's not learning wisdom. It's not a formula to apply. It's insight and perception that needs to be applied in a variety of situations. Now, wisdom in the Bible normally comes in these little aphorisms, these two-line couplets. Now, wisdom in most cultures comes in these short sayings, these aphorisms. We looked at a few uh, uh, in week one, the first week. It doesn't matter how slowly you go as long as you don't stop, said Confucius. There you go. That's a sort of a two-line one. Much of our wisdom is a single line. A chain is only as strong as its weakest link. But notice with a proverb like that, its application is not just to chains, is it? It's trying to make you think about the whole of life, the teams you're in, the, the group projects you're involved in, anything that involves multiple links in a chain or could be conceived that way. This is a, a, a piece of wisdom to pick up about any situation like that. Or an African one, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Now, that's not just true of travelling, is it? That's true of all sorts of things in life. Now, many of those are just one-liners. In Hebrew, Hebrew poetry that we get in the Bible, most of them are two-liners. There's two lines put together, this parallelism. Two ideas put side by side, like uh, Proverbs 14, 13, laughter, rejoicing. Two lines, one after each other. And what we're meant to do is sort of Hold that little couplet up like you do with a diamond. You've got some diamonds in your pocket, haven't you? 
And just hold, hold it up to the light. And to see the beauty of the diamond, you've got to rotate it and look at it from various angles. It, to have the light come and strike it different ways and you start to see the beauty, the gem. Well, so with these proverbs. They need to be held up to the light, rotated. Look at it from various angles. Apply to a variety of different situations. Each has its pearl of wisdom, its gem of insight in the middle. And once you get that, once you see it, you can see some of its implications. They spark out in all sorts of different directions. And that's what we'll spend some time doing. And that's why the Proverbs tend to be this random order. Because you're supposed to take each one individually and look at it and rotate it around and and start to see what it's saying about life, about wisdom, about you and me. So let's look at this first one. Proverbs 14, 13. It was part of our reading. We'll pick it because we can pick anyone at random. They're just like that. Even in laughter, the heart may ache and rejoicing may end in grief. Now, this is what's called synonymous parallelism. Now, you grammar geeks out there, you know what synonymous means, don't you? The same meaning. That is, here's two lines that say the same thing. And therefore, they're mutually illuminating. One helps you understand what the first one is saying. Uh, and vice versa. And notice they're about the same sort of thing, laughter and rejoicing. That's the same sort of emotion, isn't it? Heartache and grief are the same sort of emotion as well. But what does it mean? What, What questions do we need to ask? How do we hold this up to the light and see what it's saying? Well, it's partly by reading both lines together and seeing what's in common and what sort of situation is it reflecting? What experience is it describing? And when you ask that sort of question, you start to see something, don't you? But you've been in situations, haven't you, where it's all laughter. Everyone's cracking a joke. It's all jovial. It's all terrific fun. A few beers are out. We're having great fun. And then you notice that some of the people who were laughing a minute ago aren't laughing now. And you wonder what's happened. You think, actually, often when we're laughing, there's heartache underneath. There's grief there still in people's experience. And you can't get rid of the grief. You can't just somehow uh, squash it by laughing, by having a few jokes, by having a jovial time with some of your friends. It's, it's still there deep down, isn't it? That's what Proverbs is saying. So the questions to ask are things like this. What wise insight does it encapsulate? What experience of life is it helping us to reflect on and understand something more deeply about? And then how could you apply this gem of wisdom to other situations? Before we leave that, that's a question. How could you apply it? Well, once you understand that bit of wisdom, you can think of lots of situations to apply, can't you? You're at a party. It's all good fun. But remember, even even laughter, a heart may ache. There's probably people there who are aching. There's more going on below the surface. Maybe for yourself, don't be deceived that a bit of partying, a bit of good fun will remove all the pain. Maybe the pain of losing lost ones or just feeling personally empty. You know that feeling? Well, the proverb is trying to help you connect with that, to see it in yourself and see it in others and become wiser because you understand how the world works, how emotions go, what happens inside people, that the, the superficial, the surface, is not always all that's going on. Well, here's another one. This one might surprise you to start with. 
Just read it. A bribe is like a magic stone in the eyes of the one who gives it. Wherever he turns, he prospers. Sort of surprise you that that's in the Bible? person who uses bribes is going to prosper wherever he goes? It's sort of provocative, isn't it? Is it commending bribes and corruption? Or is it more just an observation that that's what happens? Well, let's think a bit more deeply about this one. This is synthetic parallelism. The second line adds something to the first. It doesn't simply repeat it. But what does the first line say? Because he's not simply saying, bribes are terrific, let's go for it. That's what it's saying. A bribe in the eyes of the one who gives it is like a magic stone. He thinks it's the solution to everything. You just give a bribe and you'll get your way. Or we might say, money talks. Or everyone's got their price. It's that sort of idea. It's actually more about what the person giving the bribe thinks than about everything else that happens when somebody gives a bribe. See, if you're corrupt, if you think that giving bribes will solve every problem, you'll probably assume other people are corrupt too, aren't you? But you'll assume they're just like you. You offer them a bribe, of course they'll accept it. They'll do what you want. Money talks, doesn't it? Yet that is the way the world works. If, If you are corrupt, you tend to assume, you tend to be overconfident about your own corruption and how everyone else will fall in line with it. And the second line, it's a bit hard to work out, is the, is the, the, the person making up the proverb saying it, it works, or is he saying it only works in his own eyes, really? It's a bit hard to work it out. Both, I think, are true. At one level, it does work. I'm glad to say Australia is not a place that's rife with this sort of corruption. It's there, just not as much as many other countries in the world. But you go to most countries in the world, and those who are offering bribes are the ones who do prosper. They're running the companies that are getting all the contracts that are making huge megabucks. And the ones receiving the bribes, they're prospering as well. They've got lots of money in overseas banks. It actually does work that way. Now notice this is an observation. He's not telling you what to do. It's saying recognise the world to be the way it is. That's what it's like. How would you apply this sort of gem of wisdom? Well, if you're one offering bribes, Maybe it says to you, don't be so overconfident that it's always going to work out. In in your eyes, it probably will. But take a second thought. If you're the ones being offered bribes, recognise that the person offering you usually thinks it's going to work. Maybe that gives you an advantage as you deal with them. It tells us too, I think, to expect corruption. Don't be surprised at it. Because it does tend to work. People are pragmatic. If they get ahead using it, they'll probably try it. And that happens in this country as well as others. It's a goad, isn't it? It's a riddle to try and understand. It's not just though understanding. It's what you do with it that matters. So a few tips before we start sampling. Uh, Proverbs makes observations about how things often work in God's world. They're not a legal guarantee of how it always works. There are usually, this is the way it tends to work. And so when you read a proverb, a foolish thing to do is to say, I know a counterexample. Of course you know a counterexample. That's not not what it's trying to say. It's trying to say, can't you see the wisdom? This is often how it works out. That's how they're working. Secondly, proverbs are worded to be memorable, not sort of strictly legally engineering type accurate in every sense. 
uh, in Hebrew, the language it's written in, often they're very, uh, very short. They just put two or three words together to make a sentence in English. The translators have to add a whole lot of other words to sort of fluff it out so we understand it. But it's often just trying to get you to connect ideas with each other. Bribes, magic stones, that sort of thing. Uh, Thirdly, the application of Proverbs is often much wider than the the specific subject matter. Like ours, too many cooks spoil the 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 broth, is not just about cooking, is it? Uh, Fourthly, we need to look for the fulfilment of the insight ultimately in the gospel of Jesus. In some, it's not hard. So here's a proverb we've just read, we're going to come back to. Fools mock at making amends for sin, but goodwill is found among the upright. Just read that first line. I hope, if you know Jesus at all, it takes you to Jesus, doesn't it? The person who made amends for sin. The person who made amends for sin. It tells us something about the world that God has made and how he runs the world and how Jesus is central to that. We'll come back to that. So, we're going to do some sampling. And in this sampling, I'm going to get you to do some thinking. Because if I just spoon feed you, it's not going to work. You won't become any wiser unless you turn your mind on and start to grapple with these proverbs yourself. They won't do you much good. So what we're going to do is, you can see the table on uh, the second uh, page of your outline. We're going to look at some of these proverbs that uh, Isaac read for us earlier and spend a bit of time trying to nut them out uh, and see what their applications and implications might be. We're going to turn them, hold them up in the, the, the air and turn them around and look at them from those different angles. So let's start with this one. The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands the foolish one tears hers down. Now, what do you do? This is... Antithetical, antithetical parallelism. As it's saying, the opposite. The second line says the opposite of the first. First thing to do is just recognise the characters involved in it. So here we've got the wise woman and the foolish woman. But then we need to look at what it says about the wise woman and the foolish woman. And here we can see the wise woman builds her house. Now, Need to get the, just the sense of this right. House here is not about bricks and mortar and tiles. House is about a home. That, that, that's what the word conveys. This is not about civil engineering or architecture. Uh, this is about homemaking, if you like. The wise woman builds her house, her home, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. Now, what's the insight in that little proverb, do you think? What is it that it's saying? What's it wanting us to reflect on our life and experience and say, oh, yeah, I've seen that happen? Oh, let me suggest. What it's suggesting, I think, is there's a strong connection between a woman's wisdom, or lack of it, and the state of her home. That makes sense? Now, please don't accuse me of being sexist at this point. It's here. It's in the Bible. It may be being a bit sexist. We'll come to men in a minute and the implications. Because remember, a proverb is not, doesn't just have implications in the specific subject matter of it. You can think wider than that. So what's it saying? It's saying there is a solid connection between a woman's wisdom and the state of a home. So who are the characters implied? Well, there's the wise woman. There's the foolish woman. 
The foolish woman's destroyed her home. And her destroyed home is caused by her own folly. She tears it apart with her own hands. You get the impression that probably the foolish woman wants to blame other people. No, not my fault. It's my husband's fault. It's the kid's fault. It's the architect's fault. It's community's fault. The problem says, no, it's usually their own fault, actually. Their foolishness tears their own home down. But there's also other characters. There's the people looking on and watching like you and I might be. So how could that insight affect my actions? Well, it may make me look at my own home to work out whether I'm wise or foolish. If, if it exposes that I'm foolish, maybe I'm foolish, my home is falling to pieces and I'm always blaming somebody else. It says, come on, hold on a minute, hang up, think about yourself, take responsibility. If you think about getting married, you might do something for the second. It depends on your situation, doesn't it? Trust a wise woman to build a good home. Marry wisely. Now, none of you are thinking about getting married, are you? So we'll go to the fourth one. Do you think of the third one? Does it apply to wider issues? Like, would this apply to men as well? Interestingly, as you read through the Bible, it does. One of the qualifications to be an elder in the church of God is that you manage your household well. It's a test of men as well as women, of husbands as well as wives, of fathers as well as mothers. Almost equally, I would suspect. You see how the wisdom starts to break open. We can see it from different angles. We can apply it in different contexts. Okay. You ready to do one yourself? Good. So with the person next to you, I want you to look at this one. Verse 3. A fool's mouth lashes out with pride, but the lips of the wise protect them. So talk with the person next to you. You've got no one next to you. Feel free to move around, or if you like being alone, just think on your own. (laughs) And you're trying to work out what is the insight, what's the gem of understanding about life and how it works. By looking at the characters, the situation, how could this insight affect them? And then, well, what about us? How might I apply it to us? So I'm going to give you a couple of minutes just to think through that with the person next to you. Okay, I'm not sure how far you've got. 
I know some of you are very clever and you can work this out. Anybody want to be brave enough to hazard a guess what they think the insight is? Uh, yes, it, it, it's certainly about that, isn't it? That's the topic, is that the way in which people's words, the way they use words, reflects what they are like. Can you go further than that? Because lots of problems will do that. What is the connection? Could it also like, have wider implications for like, their actions and how they act in daily life and how they just go about life in general? Yeah, you're giving me generalisations. Can you get more specific? Josh? I think it's more that foolish words tend to be destructive, lacking in the sense of the flashing out, but, but the wise man speaks wisely and it's protective. Yep, yeah. That's, that's right. It's a, and in a sense, sometimes you're just repeating the words, aren't you, in trying to say the insight. And so it's helpful sometimes to try and put it in other words. Or maybe look at it from a different angle. So I'll, I'll throw an angle at you. What happens if somebody lashes out at you? Have you ever had that experience? Are you just sitting there having a conversation and then suddenly somebody lashes out at you with their tongue? What does this tell you about what's going on? What might be going on? Saying it, it probably is something like foolish pride going on. Now, my guess is that's not our first reaction normally. Somebody lashes out at us, we think they're just being terrible. They're horrible people. I never deserve it, of course. Um, and so if they lash out at me, uh, yeah, they're just immoral people. But this analyses it more than that. It says, think, could it be pride? Because pride is in itself foolish. It's stupid. It's dumb, pride. And and if you think about it, that is often the case, isn't it? People lashing out comes from, is driven by their pride, their ego. <laughs> now, it sort of backfires because when you lash out at people, guess what? You get less respected, but it comes from that place in the heart often. Not necessarily always, but notice it's helping us to see things maybe in a new light, a different angle when people lash out at us. It's giving us insight Wisdom takes reflection. Now, there's more to that than, than what we've seen so far, but let's move on. So here's another one, the next one. Where there are no oxen, the manger is empty, or you could translate it clean. But from the strength of an ox come abundant harvests. Okay? Again, I want you to try and work out with the person next to you, what are, what's the insight in this proverb? Okay. Who reckons they've worked it out? This one's a bit tricky, I reckon. Who's worked it out? Yeah. Jonty. So uh, I was thinking that it might be saying that it costs, or it costs you something to keep an ox. It's expensive to get a feed the manger, but you get a bigger harvest if you've got one anyway. So you have more to, you end up with a net break even if you cost something. Uh, yeah. Yep, I think that's on the right track. Well, what does it cost you? That is, if you've got an ox, a bull, in your hay shed, in your manger, what's going to happen to the manger? Sorry? It's going to eat up the contents. It's going to eat up the contents, yes. And it's also going to create mayhem, isn't it? A bull in a china shop. You know, you've heard that expression? 
You, you put your bull, your ox in the manger, around the manger, it's just going to cause a mess. But it's worth it. See, this is for OCD people. <laughs> this, is for, <laughs> this is for people who love everything being tidy and neat. And, and, and they won't have an oxen there because an oxen's going to muck it all up. It's going to be untidy and it won't all work. I won't be able to walk in and take pride in my housework. But you know what? No oxen, there's no harvest. You lose so much. You've got to be willing for a bit of untidiness, a bit of chaos in order to make progress, in order to have growth. You see that? You see the wisdom of that? It's pointing out something about the way life works. And once you've got that insight, once you've held it up and started to see that, it applies in all sorts of things in life, doesn't it? It applies to your study. You know, those of you who want a perfectly neat desk and you, will, you won't study until it's all neat and your study program is worked out to the nth degree, will do no study. You've experienced that? Those of you who go into business and you think, the main thing in business is to keep all the books completely in order the whole time, no no disharmony, no chaos, the business won't grow. You've got to put up with some chaos. Churches often need to learn this as well. Now notice it's not universal. It's not that having an ox necessarily means you'll you'll grow. It's not that you should have no order. But it's speaking especially to those anal people who just can't cope with disorder and saying, get over it. Okay, you, can you see where it's going? All right, let's look at another one. Got a couple minutes left, so we'll look at a couple more. An honest witness does not deceive, but a false witness pours out lies. Now, let's do this a bit together. Now, at first, it just seems like a tautology, doesn't it? Honest witness, yep, they tell the truth. False witness pours out lies. When might this be relevant? Sorry? In a court case? Yeah, in a court case. But I reckon even just in... Have you ever had that situation in your family where your parents don't know who to believe? You know? Who did this? And you say, no, not me. And your brother says, no, not me either. <laughs> how do you sort it out? Well, this is how you sort it out. The honest witness is telling you the truth. But the false witness is pouring out lies. That is, you do it from their character. From your experience of them, you work out, is this a person I can trust or isn't it? Is it someone who tells the truth or isn't it someone who tells the truth? That's how you work it out. You can't work it out from the facts, from the evidence, because people are just claiming different things. But there is a way of working it out. And it applies in all sorts of situations. And it applies whether you're the person hearing the lies or, or truth or the person delivering them. It gives you insight in both situations. Fools mock, this is one we looked at briefly before, fools mock at making amends for sin, but goodwill is found among the upright. Again, in your pairs, see if you can work out the gem, the nugget of insight, the wisdom in this little problem. Yeah, start talking. (laughs) All right. Suggestions. Have a go. You can only be exposed as foolish. <laughs> that killed it, didn't it? Okay. <laughs> I'll be exposed as foolish then. I think what he's saying is that it's foolish to not do something about sin. 
That is, it's put in fairly extreme ways. You know, when, when somebody who's foolish has done something wrong and somebody says, come on, you want to do something, go and apologise, they mock. Oh, they're not worth an apology. They, they want to squash the effects of wrongdoing and the way we sin against one another. But the wise person takes action. They confront it. They do something about it. And you know what happens? When you do something about it, what, what results? Goodwill. People actually get on with each other because the issues have been dealt with. Have you experienced that? Because the temptation is to do nothing, isn't it? You know you've done something or maybe something's done, someone's done something against you and you'd like, you'd like it just to go away, just to ignore it, just to, to put it behind you and pretend it never happened. And ultimately that's foolish. It doesn't lead to peace. It leads to just ongoing niggling and conflict and misunderstanding and standoffishness. Now, you've got to confront it. You've got to do something about it. You've got to make amends for sin in order to have goodwill, in order to dwell in peace with one another. Have you seen that? Now, if you've seen it, what are you going to do about it? Because, you see, wisdom is not just understanding Wisdom is taking it on board, making it part of the way you are as a person. And therefore, seeing this and recognising maybe I've been too quick just to shrug it off and say, no, it doesn't matter. I prefer to forget it. I don't want to do anything about it. Is foolish. Are you willing to change? Will you become wise or will you choose to stay foolish at this point? You've seen the wisdom. It's been pointed out to you. What you do with it will determine whether you're wise or foolish, not whether you understand it. That's the cutting edge, isn't it? Now, we won't look at all the rest, but I just want to go back to this one. Fools, sorry, this is the one we're on, isn't it? And think about, well, how, how does this apply to Jesus? And I think it's fairly obvious, isn't it? Jesus saw the sin of humanity, mine and yours, and he did something about it. He didn't just say, come on, I'll wait for you to do something. He made amends for sin. He gave his life to make amends for our sin. And what does that produce? It produces goodwill between us and God in an amazing, unbelievable way. But it also produces goodwill between us. Because now we can be open about our failures. We can apologise not just to God because amends have been made, but to each other. And live in that sort of spirit with one another amongst the upright, amongst the righteous, amongst those who care about justice like God cares about justice. Come to NYC, we're going to explore that much more, much more depth. But you can start to see how this lands on Jesus, can't you? And that in the end you can't read Proverbs without thinking about Jesus and the way in which he has displayed the manifold wisdom of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for revealing wisdom to us, wisdom beyond our experience, wisdom often beyond our capacity to grasp it. Please help us not just to understand it, but please, Father, write it into our lives so we become wise like you are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.